Hey, it's Eleanor, your co-host of Bonnie and Maud. We're really excited to announce that Bonnie and Maud is hosting another live show. Uh, we did one called Watching You Eat that explored tropes of women eating and cooking in TV, movies, and pop culture. And we have another one coming up, and this one is all about hair. Okay, no, not the musical. Hair on your head, on your body, the lack thereof. We have some great presenters, and it's going to be a fun show. That is March 11th at Littlefield in Brooklyn. For all of you in the tri-state area, I hope you can make it. And there's more information at our website, bonnieandmaud.com. Now, please enjoy this conversation about Frozen, the Disney animated movie that was just nominated for an Oscar and is currently taking over the world. Their paths crossed like two hot wires. We are just about the friendliest folks you would ever want to meet. That's Bonnie. I'm sorry, I was looking for Maud. Everyone has the right to make an ass out of themselves. You can't let the world judge you too much. That woman, she took my car. This is Bonnie and Maud, the film podcast with Xenia Yarosh and Eleanor Kagan. Hey, you're listening to Bonnie and Maud. I'm Eleanor Kagan. And I'm Ksenia Yarosh. And we are a film podcast where... <laughs> wow. I'm so bad at this part. <laughs> um, we are a film-centric film... Wow. Film-centric. <laughs> well, we do watch films. Uh, we are a femme-centric film podcast that talks about classic contemporary films um, from a slightly different perspective. Yeah, and uh, today we are discussing a recent film, mm -hmm. but part of a bit of a larger conversation on feminism and snow and ice and uh, everyone's favorite corporation, Disney. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Frozen. Yes. I think we should open with like a couple sentences about our own growing up with Disney and what we remember and feel towards Disney films and princesses. Sure. I should preface this by saying that I am getting over a bit of a cold, so the raspiness in my voice is not like me putting it on to like sound sexy. Just uh, wanted to get that out of the will way. Will people be able to tell us apart <laughs> if your voice is deeper than usual? Maybe. Um, so Disney and I had a very close relationship growing up. Um, I basically grew up being em and embodying Disney. You know, when I was two years old, I was Minnie Mouse. I straight up was Minnie Mouse. And then uh, I saw Lady and the Tramp. So then around age two and a half, I was Tramp. <laughs> and I insisted that everybody call me Tramp. And so my parents, I must have been older than two. Um, I must have been three or four, actually. So I, let's say I was four. Um, my parents had to introduce themselves as like, hey, we're Howard and Paula, and this is our daughter, Tramp. A story they love to tell. Um, but I really identified with Tramp and Lady and the Tramp. Um, and then, of course, Ariel um, a year later. And I straight up was Ariel, too. And um, uh, there was something about the fierce independence of all of these characters, like Tramp, like Ariel, like Beauty from mm -hmm. Beauty and the Beast, that really spoke to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I loved Disney movies growing up, and it never was weird to me that the uh, amongst the Disney princesses, they were really strangely shaped. They mm -hmm. had 
big crazy eyes. There were very few princesses of color. It was just none of that sort of sort of social context sunk in for me. But um, I definitely grew up a devotee of Disney princesses. Mm-hmm. How about you? Absolutely. I I grew up in Russia, so in addition to Disney being this classic, beautiful, colorful, mesmerizing fairy tale. It was America to me, so I I feel like I loved it even more. Like, I loved Russian cartoons, and I loved Russian children's films, but they have a very different tone and a very different aesthetic. Um, Some of them are more drab, and they're definitely more overtones that are dark and sad and nostalgic. So with Disney, my favorites were Ariel and Belle from Beauty and the Beast. And that was definitely because um, Ariel was a little more goofy than some of the other princesses. Um, She had a sense of humor about her and she was definitely more adventurous. And uh, Belle loved to read. Like how, Mm -hmm. as someone who was like reading a book all the way over here, barely looking up, trying, trying not to trip. Like I, that, that was like the character that I really related to. I didn't even care about the beast who did anyone care about the beast. I, I loved his library. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she should move in there because there's so many books. Didn't he use the library to basically entice her into not running away? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> he seduced her with, um, his awesome selection of literature. I think I got so wrapped up in the story of Beauty and the Beast that when he turned human at the end, I was like repulsed by the human version of the beast. Uh, he seemed more interesting when he was a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can't even like fully visualize what he looked like as a prince, but I'm sure it was something boring and like poofy haired. <laughs> and blonde. I don't know. He was just like your regular, you know, hunky man type. Um, I also always really loved and, like, respected and was so awed by the female villains, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought Ursula was, like, the most fascinating woman ever. And when the octopus she, lady? Yeah, from uh, The Little Mermaid. And when she sang her Poor Unfortunate Soul song in the cave and she had, like, all her crazy things, um, it was, like, you know, her version of Ariel's little, like, cave of, of junk. Mm-hmm. Um I just, I, I loved it and I wanted my own cave of junk. Um, Ursula and then Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty was mm-hmm. like so beautiful and stately and terrifying. This um, is a deeper cut, but also The Sword in the Stone. Have you seen that? The witch maybe. in that is amazing. She's probably my favorite kind of crazy villain who isn't bad because she wants something, but because there's like... I don't know. There's like a madness to her. Mm -hmm. I fell off the Disney animated train around Pocahontas that I I think I was a little too old by the time that that came out. Yeah. That it never really made quite an impact on me. Um, And then, you know, since then it's been kind of dipping in and out of what's going on with the Disney films. I did see The Princess and the Frog, um, Mm -hmm. which I really liked. And, um, the one set in New Orleans with uh, the first African-American princess. And that, you know, it was a fun movie, and she was probably a good role model for little girls. But, you know, there is still the uh, many inherent problems with Disney animated princesses, which I think we'll get into a lot today. 
Disney has its very specific themes that it has. <laughs> there are just like certain bones to these Disney stories. And I was kind of ready going into Frozen to be faced with these sort of conservative perspectives. It's the all I want to do is find a man and fall in love. Mm -hmm. It's the I will do whatever it takes to get this man, even lose my voice and not be able to speak. Mm -hmm. And then there's always the goofy sidekick. There was um, the crab or what was he? Uh, Sebastian? Sebastian. There was the candlestick. There's always like... Lumiere. Yes. There's always like the comic relief, but also guidance from this sidekick. And then there is the, you know, the hunky male savior mm -hmm. who rescues the princess. Mm -hmm. There are some small deviants from this skeleton here and there, depending on who the protagonist is, depending on which Shakespeare or folklore or fairy tale the story is based on, mm -hmm. but in general, you do find the same things over and over again. Um, the dead mother. Yes. There's always a dead mother. The orphan is always the kind person who, like, because he or she has suffered being alone is now good. Um, and in Frozen, it's several characters who are parentless. It's the two lead females plus the guy. We should mention that we are going to be spoiling Frozen mm -hmm. in case anyone is unsure if they want to hear the, the full story of it. For the lack of a better way to describing it, from you know a feminist perspective, there is a quote-unquote twist at the end of Frozen, but that's only because we've been programmed to expect the same things out of certain stories. So we will be, yes, like Ksenia said, revealing those things. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to say, I really loved it. <laughs> I did too. And I've been thinking about it more and more since we saw it last night. And I want to see it again. And I'm really excited about it. I, I was ready to be disappointed. And even in the first third of the movie, the songs weren't doing anything for me. And I was like, oh, Disney is trying to overcompensate by making these characters a little too quirky and a little too, like, clumsy cute girl who bumps into things and loves chocolate but then it like leveled out and we had a real story going and there was conflict and tension and something more than just a love story between a man and a woman absolutely and frozen is based off the hans christian anderson fairy tale the snow queen which ksenia you were saying that there was actually a russian Snow Queen that you grew up with. Is that right? There, There's a Russian cartoon from the 50s, I believe. 50s or 70s, now I'm blinking. But um, uh, the Russian cartoon is very close to the original story. So I grew up watching that. And it is very tragic. It's The story basically goes, it's um, a boy and a girl. They're very young, maybe like seven. So it's not romance clearly they're children and to condense it uh the boy gets a piece of ice stuck in his uh, eyes and heart when he makes fun of the ice queen the ice queen takes him away and the bulk of the story is greta the girl in the beginning of the story trying to reach him trying to get to the ice queen's castle to rescue hans on her journey, she meets a lot of different sorts of women. There's a good witch. Uh, there are robbers uh, who are 
mother and daughter team. Hmm. Uh, there's a princess, um, and so on and so on. And eventually she gets to the castle and her warm embrace awakens Hans. And instead of being cruel and cold, he returns to himself and then possibly in the future they like marry and become a couple. Well, according to Frozen, they absolutely marry and become a couple because I was looking into this as well, and the names of the two children from the original Snow Queen are the names of the parents of the daughters in Frozen. So that kind of brings it full circle. And, you know, if that is so in the mythology of Frozen, then that means that they somehow gave their daughter ice powers and the other daughter goes on a very similar type of journey. Mm-hmm. So the basic story of Frozen is that there's there are two sisters, Elsa, who's the older one, and Anna, who's the younger one. And Elsa has ice powers. She basically can touch things and turn them into ice and make snow and make skating rinks and make snowmen and basically can, has this power to create ice. And her parents are very worried because it's getting stronger as she's getting older and they teach her that she has to control it and when she feels especially emotional her powers tend to go a little haywire so in a accidental uh playtime mishap she strikes anna with ice to her head and then the family takes anna to like a group of trolls who cure her but then also wipe her memory of her sister's powers i was unclear as to why that was the case maybe that was the only way to cure her or that was i don't know that was a way to like fix things where she wouldn't question it going forward okay it it was a little disney movies have a way of being like this is the way it shall be done with like no explanation there's definitely certain answers and solutions that are very quick and if you try to question them and kind of fall apart. <laughs> exactly. Never dig into the logic behind mm-hmm. a Disney plot. Um, but anyway, so Elsa um, feels terrible and her parents decide that her powers need to be contained. So their solution is to put her into isolation. Well, they're, they're not cruel, but no, they want her to take control of it and they don't want any more harm coming towards their other daughter or anyone else in the community. And so, yes, they shut down the castle and... Um, Elsa basically goes into isolation for her entire childhood and adolescence. Mm -hmm. And Anna wants to play with her, and she never will. And all the while, Elsa's powers are getting stronger. So on her 18th birthday, she becomes the queen, and they open up the castle for the first time. The parents die in a tragic accident. Oh, yeah, of course. Duh. (laughs) Dead parents. I mean, how else are the daughters going to have the impetus to go on an adventure if their parents aren't dead? (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) I shouldn't be laughing at dead <laughs> parents so eagerly. Yeah, tragedy plus time, Ksenia. Mm-hmm. So Anna is looking forward to getting outside the walls of the castle for the first time she's been cooped up. Long story short, Elsa reveals her powers to the whole town. Not on purpose, but it starts as an accident and it like... Um, it snowballs quickly. F- oh. No pun intended. I stepped on your beautiful pun. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Elsa reveals her powers. People think she's a monster. She runs away and creates her own ice kingdom in a mountain far, far away. She sets off sort of an endless winter in this village, which 
is dangerous because people need different seasons and they're alarmed. So Anna decides she's going to go track Elsa down and have her reverse the effects of the endless winter. On her journey, she meets um, Kristoff. There was a previous love interest before that, um, Hans, whom she leaves in charge at the kingdom. On her journey, she meets uh, like a more rough and tumble kind of guy who's an ice man. What, what is that job called? <laughs> well, because ice picker. This is why I think that the the village had perpetual summer because his job was like the ice guy. So he would like mm-hmm. go fetch ice from somewhere. Uh, from the mountains, I guess, and I deliver guess. it to the city. I don't know. Again, Disney logic, don't question it. Um, oh, and he was also raised by the troll tribe. Which I don't even want to get into that. doesn't really <laughs> matter. That's a really weird subplot that we can just ignore completely. <laughs> um, so she goes on this mountain, joined by Hans, um, who sort of helps her, but she seems to be doing generally okay on her own. Yeah. Gets to the mountain, tries to convince her sister to come down. Her sister, again, accidentally puts ice in her sister's body. Yeah, it's... she, like, hits her with ice, but this time it goes through Anna's heart, mm-hmm. turning her heart cold, a coldness that only an act of true love can melt. And this It's not is... a Disney movie if you don't hear the phrase true love. True that. <laughs> you know, this is, of course, setting up the so-called twist, I suppose I'll call it, which is everyone's like, an act of true love? What could that be? Oh, it's, it's got to be true love's kiss. Also, has anyone ever used the phrase true love's kiss outside of a Disney movie? I think not. But the, anyway, everyone's just like, yeah, true love's kiss is totally this act of true love that yeah, everybody's yeah, yeah. talking about. Mm-hmm. And so... Anna, you know, is all googly-eyed for Hans. She's back at the village. And Kristoff obviously has a crush on her. So she goes home. Um, She's about to have this kiss with this man that she had known for a day but was engaged to. Hans. Um, And he turns on her. And we find out he's only there because he wants this kingdom. And it's not true love. And so... There's a lot of commotion, action, blah, blah, blah. He basically leaves her to die. And in the meantime, he's led a crew that has gone up to the snow mountain and kidnapped Elsa and locked her in a dungeon. Another Disney trope is being locked in a dungeon. Hmm. There's a lot of being chained to things. Hmm. S&M? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go there. <laughs> so the finale of the film is that... Um, Hans is about to kill Elsa, the Ice Queen, um, but Anna jumps in front of the sword as she's dying. Like, her heart is basically slowing down, and she's about to freeze. And she and Kristoff has been running towards her this whole time, and she's like, oh, he must be my true love, and kissing him will be the act of true love. And then as he's nearing, he, she kind of runs away from him and steps in front of Hans and deflects the sword. And that is the true love that ultimately ends up defrosting her heart. And as a result, like this is the weird thing, um, Elsa realizes, oh, the way for me to control my powers is love. Surprise! (laughs) The true love is between sisters and not a man and a woman. It's a miracle. Yeah. 
So she brings Summer back to the town. Everyone is happy. She knows how to control her powers. And the sisters live happily ever after. Ice skate together. And there's so much joy. There is. So that's what we have going on in Frozen. There are a couple people that we haven't talked about yet, like the reindeer Sven, who is awesome. And also, as we mentioned, no Disney movies complete without a wacky sidekick. And in this one, it is the Daffy Snowman, Olaf. Whom I liked a lot. I know. He was extra stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the donkey in Shrek is another example of that. That's Con- not Disney, though. I know, but, but it's yeah, like an the, animated the film sidekick. Thing. Yeah. Okay, so here is... <laughs> Here are my feelings about the Staffy Snowman. What initially interested me in even talking about this film on this podcast in the first place is the fact that its advertising campaign was so baffling to me. So the only advertising I saw for this movie was featuring the Daffy Snowman. There was a little short that I saw where it was him and the reindeer Sven arguing over a carrot all of the movie posters had the Daffy Snowman on it. And then someone told me that the movie had two female protagonists and was about sisterly love. And I had no idea. And I was like, well, that's kind of screwed up, is that they're completely glossing over the fact that this movie is uh, sort of, you know, vaguely girl powery and has female leads. And uh, yeah, I don't like that. But weirdly enough, I've kind of reversed on that since seeing the movie because I guess it's it's sad that they think little boys won't want to see this movie because there are princesses in it, but they kind of, with the advertising campaign, just completely glossed over that, and it looks like it's about a Daffy Snowman adventure. The snowman doesn't even come in until, like, halfway through the movie. Like, three quarters of the way through. Yeah. And his main thing is that he's, like, he can't wait for summer. And no one has the heart to tell him (laughs) that it means he's going to (laughs) melt. Trailers aside, I want to delve into Elsa's powers and my theory about what it's all about. Go for it. It's about sex. Yes! I totally agree with you, but continue. Okay, so she is uh, the older sister. So it's almost like she's starting to become a woman before Anna, and she's definitely more sexual and feminine throughout the film, whereas Anna is goofy and girly and asexual. She's like the Disney Liz Lemon. Oh, absolutely. She's very Liz Lemony. Like, there's a scene which I loved because it was in a Disney movie where Anna wakes up and she looks like a mess and her hair is everywhere and there's drool and, like, it's amazing to see a princess in a Disney movie who's a mess. And she falls over and, like, loves chocolate, which... We both... There are two chocolate <clears throat> references and we both... Three. Looked at, there are three. <laughs> we both totally groaned. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before, too, the kind of Liz Lemonification of female characters where it's like you're either perfect or you're like a really attractive mess. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So going back to the sexuality. So she's an older sister and she is getting these powers that she can't control, which could very well be like adulthood and like sexual power and hormones. Absolutely. And they're in her song where she's, nervous about this power she keeps mentioning how her parents want her to be a good girl and how she has to be like 
keep it inside. That's definitely a line. Once she can't hold these powers back anymore when she's 18, um, she ends up going on the mountain and she can finally like release and like be playful and like make this beautiful ice castle and like do all these things that she's been holding back. She puts on that sexy gown. She puts on this like much more revealing dress with, with like a lot of leg showing and she like takes her hair out yes, and like it flows. Yes. And, and her eyeshadow becomes darker and she like raises her eyebrow and it's very like finally I can be myself, but at the same time she has to be alone so as not to corrupt her younger sister and like hurt other people with this sexuality. But in the song, she is more focused on herself in that moment. She's actually very she's happy and relieved. Exactly. She's so psyched about being alone and she says, I can finally be free. Mm-hmm. And for the Broadway fans out there, it's Adina Menzel who plays Elsa, known, of course, from her leading role in Wicked. And this song, which I wish I knew the name of, do you know the name of it? Uh, for the first, no, not uh, Letting Go. Maybe it's Letting Go, yeah. So Letting Go is totally the defying gravity of Frozen, where she has these powers. And because she has these powers and she's a woman, people think she's this monster and she's just, you know, chronically misunderstood. I don't know that saying, like, people think she's a monster is all that accurate. There's, like, one guy who sort of calls her a witch or a sorceress or something. Everyone else is kind of baffled and confused. They're a little bit scared, but... But they're easily swayed into thinking that she's evil and trying to hurt them. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like... There's a lot of mob mentality that happens in Disney movies, too. Absolutely. Like in Beauty and the Beast, where Gaston really easily, you know, sways everybody in the town thinking that the Beast is this evil creature. I mean, the townspeople, I guess because they don't know her, she's been locked in a castle for 18 years. Everyone just assumes, oh, she has power. She must be trying to hurt us. So this is the first time that we get to see, like, in this movie, there really is no evil someone there are like some people who are more motivated by money and power Mm -hmm. but there's no wicked witch there is this ice queen who is really struggling to be good and to protect her sister and this is so awesome we get to see the conflicts inside someone who in other movies would just be evil or wicked Mm -hmm. But then, of course, I have to ask the question, like, what even is good and what even is bad? Things are tend to be so black and white in a Disney movie. And I know this is a kid's movie, but these concepts of good and bad and fear and love and anger and deceitfulness are just very narrowly put in a box. There's a lot more gray in this, I think. Like, yeah? Like, the fact that she did this sort of bad thing to the town like she started this terrible winter which is harming the town but at the same time it was unintentional and she's just struggling to be herself but also to control these powers there's also the weird connection between the concept of an ice queen you know a woman who kind of holds herself back from the world doesn't show a lot of emotion Mm -hmm. um portrayed in movies is like the icy blonde you know the Mm -hmm. hitchcock icy blonde i'm thinking like tippy hedron and the birds or in marnie where um they don't give off a lot of emotion they don't show their cards they don't 
you know, wear their heart on the sleeve. Can you think of a third cliche to complete that? No. And then the whole concept of having a heart of ice that is melted with love. People um, tend to be both intrigued and kind of repulsed repulsed by ice queens because they can't get anything out of them, but they're so aloof that they are intriguing. You want to win them over. Exactly. You want to warm their heart. Exactly. But this ice queen feels a lot. Like there there are multiple scenes where we only see it as the audience. Anna doesn't see it, but she is struggling to love her sister and to express how much her sister means to her. There is a key moment where the conflict between them begins. Um, Anna brings forth Hans Mm -hmm. and she says, we're engaged, even though they had just met that night. And Elsa's response is, what do you mean? I do not condone this. You've known this man for an evening. You can't get married to him. Like, I do not approve this as your caretaker. In the past, we wouldn't have gotten that other view. I don't know. Or is it just because I'm a grown-up and I realize that she's (laughs) saying the smart thing? (laughs) Well, I think the movie does fall on the side of Elsa anyway. I mean, we should talk about Anna a little bit. But Anna is so eager to get into the world that... And, you know, every Disney movie, again, has the I Wish song, which Mm -hmm. is the song where the main character basically lays out on the table what they want, and then they will spend the whole rest of the movie trying to get that thing. Um, What is really interesting about Frozen is that Anna's I Wish song is about how she, you know, A, wants to have adventure and experience the world, but also how she wants to find her true love and uh, meet the one. And so, of course, the first male she sees, the first piece of meat she sees after getting out of that castle is the dude that she's like, oh, I'm in love with him. Let's get married after a day. And you and I were totally groaning at each other and being like, oh, oh, don't go here, Disney. Come on. But the movie did know better than that, because not only does Elsa say no, later Kristoff makes fun of Anna for getting married to a man that she knew for one day, and he turns out to be evil. So the movie throws that in as sort of like a, hey, we made a, we may have done this in 1990, <laughs> we're not pulling this shit anymore. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that. Yeah. When uh, when we saw their get together song about opening doors and I don't know at one point he um, oh she says want to hear something crazy and he says I love crazy <laughs> I mean it's crazy what? we finish each other's sandwiches that's what I was gonna say I've never met someone who, who thinks so much like me Jake's Jake's again our mental synchronization can have but one explanation. Just their whole like banter back and forth. I was like, man, in real life, this would be like the Instagram wedding couple, Mm -hmm. like with the cute cupcakes and like, I don't know, bicycles on their wedding invitations um, (laughs) and just like all this like super cutesy Brooklyn-y stuff, quirky, like quirky is the word. You're hating so hard right now. (laughs) You're hating, Ksenia. I just hate cute DIY quirky weddings. <laughs> Even though did, mine did, was did a little not bit like spend that. an afternoon making the direct decorations for your wedding. <laughs> it was different. 
there were no bicycles on the invitations. No bicycles. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> the line in that song where they say, we finish each other's sandwiches. Uh, is that a joke from a thing? I feel like that's from thir- Arrested Development. That's right. They stole it. They totally stole that joke from Arrested Development. I was like, I've heard that before. Unacceptable. Wait a minute. This is totally, totally a side note. Maybe the director of this movie, Jennifer Lee, who I might add is the very first female director of a Disney movie ever. Maybe she's a big Arrested Development fan because there's a moment where one of the characters, the sort of instigator who tries to turn the town against Elsa, starts dancing, and he totally does the chicken dance. dance. You notice that too? Is the whole thing like an Arrested Development homage? Um... So what did we think of Anna as the protagonist? Adventurous, kind of tomboyish, kind she's of... She's a redhead. I she's think, a redhead. I think we should point that out. Redheads are often, if they're not super sexual, a la who framed Roger Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. Uh, if they're not, like, super sexed, they're, like, super goofy and kind of asexual. Like uh, the girl from Brave. Or Green Gables or... Even like Lucy, there are like a lot of characters like that, I think. Mm -hmm. I liked Anna. She was very defiant. There were a lot of things she didn't know about the world. She was very naive in certain ways, but didn't give in to that. Absolutely. There was the part where she barged into where Kristoff was and was like, you're taking me up the mountain right now. And uh, she's kind of the sugar mama in that relationship, too. Yes, I love that. That at the (laughs) end, like their happy ending once they realize they need to be together, is uh, she gets him a brand new sled. And it's like, this is her gift to him, and he appreciates it, and they kiss. And that's like, whoa, that's awesome. Sad. Like, she, he didn't have to get her a ring. He didn't have to, like, get her a gown or whatever presents. He like, didn't even have to save her. Yeah. Anna is fearless in this movie. There's, you know, many death-defying jumps over, you know, mountain gorges where she just takes the plunge or she beats up wolves to save Kristoff. She basically just goes for it. She, you know, helps beat up this, like, snow monster demon guy. She is kicking ass in this movie, and I really liked that. It was great. I I was concerned early on that she would be, like, a Zoe Deschanel kind of quirk monster i feel like zoe deschanel was a big influence on her if not for the size of her eyes alone (laughs) did you see that article in slate that pointed out that in these movies especially in frozen that the female characters eyes are bigger than their wrists Mm -hmm. the female characters are most lovable when they take up very little space when they're basically can shrink down into like the palm of your hand and on the other hand tinkerbell Tinker, oh, exactly. She is, like, the essential siren. Yeah, because even if they're feisty, like Anna is, it still keeps their femininity if they're petite and cute, Mm -hmm. which is big eyes, small wrists. I didn't mind it. I, I did think that Anna and Elsa looked a little too similar, but those are just the constraints of the studio and what they do. Yeah, I mean... The way that these characters look have not really evolved that much. I mean, I would really like to see someone do a comparison chart of eye size of the Disney princesses over the years. I remember always thinking Princess Jasmine had the biggest eyes out of all of them. Absolutely. Um, But it is. I mean, it's like 
it's like the cutification, like a like tiny big, nose, tiny mouth, big eyes. Yeah, like puppies it's and like babies. a baby. Yeah. And you know, Frozen does definitely doesn't get an A in that category. There's a little something more interesting about their mouths. I found like their smirks and some of their expressions were more complex than I recall in previous Disney films mm-hmm. to coincide with their general response. Like they were more assertive and aggressive than previous princesses. How did you feel about the music? I I don't know. I couldn't get into it. I didn't love it. The um, Let It Go was stuck in my head uh, this morning, but I don't know. I don't know if it's because I'm grown up that it doesn't penetrate quite as much, but the songs from Ariel and Beauty and the Beast will be in my brain forever. I really liked them. I realized they were by the same uh, lyricist, uh, Robert Lopez, who did the, who also comes from Broadway. This movie had a lot of Broadway cred, which is what I think mm-hmm. is part of what made it so good. Um, and Robert Lopez wrote and won Tonys for both Avenue Q and Book of Mormon. Um, and he and his wife were the um, did the music for Frozen. And there were a lot of cute turns of phrase. The the my favorite one is in um, the Daffy Snowman Olaf's uh, his I Wish song, which is about how he can't wait for summer. Winter's a good time to stay in and cuddle, but put me in summer and I'll be a happy snowman. When life gets rough, because of the rhyme scheme, the next word is supposed to be puddle, and you see a puddle on screen. I felt like I was stoned. It was, <laughs> it was so out of nowhere and uh, like bizarre. I I enjoyed it, but it, it like really threw me for a loop. <laughs> we should also mention um, the other the rest of the talent in this movie. So Kristen Bell from Veronica Mars was love her. Anna. Love her, and she actually did all her own singing, which I didn't expect. Adina Menzel, of course, was Elsa. Jonathan Groff was Kristoff, and he was in Spring Awakening, and then he also had a role in Glee. Glee. Adina Menzel was also in Glee. Glee. (laughs) You're like, how do I know Adina Menzel? And if I knew Broadway better, I'm sure a lot of the supporting singers and the background singers are also, also have some theater cred. I think Kristen Bell's voice really sold that character to me, being lovable and feisty but not annoying (laughs) you know i actually thought that it was emma emma stone emma stone i thought so too for a second but her voice is definitely deeper Mm -hmm. and josh gad plays the daffy snowman and he of course plays the daffy mormon in the book of mormon and i just love him so much and he was excellent that's another character who could have like with another voice been irritating mm-hmm. but was just right like just the right hint of dumb but uh so cute yeah josh Gad has a is really talented at playing an annoying character but doing an excellent job at playing an annoying character so he's he doesn't fall into like jar jar binks territory <laughs> um i didn't know that was the line <laughs> jar 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 is over the line he's far beyond the line So at the end of the day, Frozen is a movie about sisterly love and the idea of having a loving and supportive family. You know, that's a very important theme. I kept waiting for the knight in shining armor to roll in and save the women, and that didn't happen, which I was pleased with. 
I thought both of the women would be paired up by the end of it. I thought uh, the ice queen would end up with Kristoff, who loves ice, so that would have made sense. <laughs> and uh, Anna would end you up... You love ice? Here's a woman who is yeah. ice. <laughs> Your dream, buddy. And Anna would end up with the unlikely Hans, whom she didn't know for very long, but... Yeah, so I think, you know, if I had a daughter, I would totally take her to see this movie. Absolutely. I hope this is a new normal in terms of... the beginning of more progress in the Disney universe. So there doesn't have to be, like, the girl movie, you know? Like, in the last couple of years, we've had Tangled and Brave and this. And And Brave didn't even have a love interest. Yeah, doesn't she kind of just... You know, they're like, you should get married. And she's like, no, nah, not interested. And then it just sort of goes on from there. There's something about fighting bears. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I need to see it, too. Like, I know you could poke a lot of holes in it, but there are just certain constraints within Disney that are on the conservative side. And mm-hmm. I'm glad they're trying to go in a different direction that's a little more interesting and lady positive. And sex positive, too. I mean, of course, it doesn't explicitly come out and say that, but I do believe in your theory that this whole movie is about locking up a young woman's uh, sexual desire mm-hmm. because it's becoming too powerful. You know, it might make Hurt people uncomfortable. Someone. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I like that. And, you know, I like to think that maybe little girls who are seeing this movie in the same way that we saw Beauty and the Beast... Uh, we'll kind of grow up and look back on this and be like, and and kind of get the right message from it. Mm-hmm. Like, they can now think, I don't need a male partner to help me up a mountain. I can jump off a cliff on my own and save the guy. Exactly. Thanks, Frozen. <laughs> um, so should we answer a couple letters? Let's read some letters. Letters. To Bonnie and Maud. Uh, We got a lovely email from Jenny T. a couple of weeks ago. Uh, It said, Hello, Bonnie and Maude. I found your podcast via the Flophouse. We're a fan of the Flophouse. And I'm really, really enjoying it. So thanks. I was just wondering if you might consider recording a show about Aaron Sorkin and his female characters. Um, She goes on to say that she's been watching the newsroom and was a fan of the West Wing, but finds a lot of sort of paternalistic sexism in the characters. I have heard that before from Aaron Sorkin. I was a fan of The West Wing, but I haven't watched it in a long time, and I haven't watched The Newsroom at all. I do remember West Wing was interesting because there were a lot of prominent female characters, but they were sort of like quippy and always trying to impress the men. Mm -hmm. That was the main criticism I heard about The Newsroom. I really could only make it through one episode of that show um that bad (laughs) (laughs) but i would be interested in looking into uh his female characters because he's definitely good at writing the the kind of you know maverick type male characters and maybe if we find what the holes are in his female characters we can uh make some suggestions of how to make them a little bit more Mm well-rounded even in the social network i mean maybe that was partially just her acting but what is her name uh mara rooney mara rooney mara really stood out even though she's a pretty minor character she's an ex and it was cool to see her confused by his righteousness 
Um, so he is capable of doing interesting things, even with small female leads or characters or whatever. But I think it's worth talking about. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. Good suggestion. Um, all right. So this next letter comes from Jonathan B., who says he started listening to our show starting with the summer episode where we kind of went through everything that we watched, including Orange is the New Black and The League of Their Own, Magic Mike, revisiting a lot of things. Um, We also talked about All That Jazz, which is the Bob Fosse kind of uh, story that he made about himself. And um, Jonathan points out that while All That Jazz is Fosse's autobiopic, which is a phrase he used that I like, it's also an homage slash riff on Fellini's Eight and a Half, which was also somewhat autobiographical. And um, suggest that we watch that or La Dolce Vita um, as good comparisons to all that jazz. Um, he also says that after listening to the Rosemary's Baby episode, kind of has a crush on my mom. <laughs> I appreciate that, Jonathan. Um, and also mentioned that it was a movie he watched um, when he was younger and kind of thought it was silly. But after hearing us talk about it, he wanted to go back and revisit it with sort of the themes that we talked about in mind. Um, and that really means a lot to me, actually. Um, and I think this happened with Carrie, too. Films that might not speak to men, because they are kind of women's movies, something like Carrie or Rosemary's Baby, they often kind of come off as a little silly. And I've heard this from male friends of mine, that after hearing us talk about and kind of picking out the feminism, picking out the sort of gender issues in it, kind of see it in a new light. So that is one of the things that I personally really would love to do with this podcast, and I'm glad that it's working. So, Jonathan, thanks for your letter. Truthfully, I thought Carrie was pretty silly until we started talking about, and then all this stuff came up, and I was like, wow, I really did love it. (laughs) Um, And and I actually also thought of Carrie when we were watching Frozen, like the inability to uh, control these powers that can hurt other people, um, and like someone who has powers despite herself that tie in with her sexuality. Mm -hmm. We also recently received uh, a voicemail. Did you guys know that you could give us a call? You don't have to just write in. You can call for free at 530-MOD-79. That's 530-628-3379. And leave us a voicemail. Just like Lily. Beep! Hey ladies, uh, my name is Lily and I'm a listener from Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, I think the show is progressing very nicely. My favorite episode um, so far, I think, has been the Mermaids episode. I really liked what you guys had to say about that. Um, I, uh, my suggestion would be, I think it would be great if you could do an episode centered around the films of Catherine Bigelow because I think she's very relevant right now. And um, you could talk about um, Jessica Chastain's uh, portrayal in Zero Dark Thirty and um, also, you know, you could maybe touch on, on her Bigelow's views on um, cinematic violence. I think that would be really, uh, really, really interesting. Um, anyway, that's uh, really all I have to say. And um, thanks very much. Keep the podcast going. Bye. So that was Lily from Tel Aviv who wrote in and suggested that we have a chat about Catherine Bigelow, which I would love to do. What have you seen by Catherine Bigelow? I've seen Zero Dark Thirty and Point Break. I have not seen Point Break, but I really want to. And I've also seen uh, Near Dark, which is the vampire one. And has the brother from Teen Witch. Bill Paxton? No. 
the the gross weird brother oh, who's okay. like you're a dog good dog do you know what i'm talking about <laughs> i've never seen teen witch oh no oh no that has to come before <laughs> bigelow i'm sorry that's a, a key sorry lily <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about teen witch first um but yeah i would love to talk Catherine bigelow i really appreciate her work because her movies don't scream female director and she also kind of stuck it to james cameron her ex-husband at the oscars a couple years ago for hurt locker and she has a great sense of violence and action Mm -hmm. i saw zero dark 30 which made me think of homeland a lot i don't know that i have a clear sense of Bigelow's style quite yet, but I would be interested in investigating further and sort of talking about a few of her films um, throughout her career. My sense of her so far is she she makes very human action characters, especially someone like Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty. So thanks, Lily, for calling in from Tel Aviv. And um, like we said earlier, if you would like to call and leave us a voicemail the number is 530-MOD-79 operators are standing by (laughs) and of course if you want to write to us the email address is bonnieandmod at gmail.com and feel free to say hi to us on twitter or facebook or i don't know on the street say hi to us on the street but not uh when we're walking alone at night because we might uh amaze you perfect all right. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Eleanor Kagan. And I'm Ksenia Yarosh.